here gathered around the Word of God, and that's what we're going to dive into this morning. Hey, why don't we pray, and then we'll get to work. A loving Father, we thank you that um, in your grace through your Son, uh, you have drawn us all here together this morning. Uh, none of us are here unintentionally. Uh, all of us are here uh, because you have brought us here to be together, to, to learn more about you, to shape each other in our relationships. We thank you that in your loving wisdom that you plan for us to be reconciled to you uh, as a family through Jesus, who is our righteousness, who is our saviour, and is also our brother. And it's in his standing that we get to come and just like this, and as we have this morning, pray to you with confidence that you hear us, uh, that you respond to us. So our prayer is, would your spirit work in us today, make us more like uh, your son and our brother Jesus. Would you warm our hearts with affection for you that shapes all that we do. Amen. Well, this morning, a uh, bit of a different uh, morning this morning, a bit of a different message that we're going to have. Uh, what I want to do this morning is bring you into the loop or, or update you, if you like, uh, on some of the thinking that the leadership has been doing about the shaping, uh, about the direction and the expression, if you like, of, of freeway in the coming uh, months and years and that. Uh, we, we have, as, as Robin has said, we have our church mission statement, uh, the banner, if you like, that we all gather under of, of knowing Jesus and making him known. And the big idea there, that we are a community that Jesus has made himself, made himself known to, and that he is continuing to make himself known to in, in increasing and expanding measures of grace as we gather together. You know, the only reason that we actually know Jesus as Savior, as Lord and, and as brother, as we would call him, is because God, through his spirit and in his loving grace, uh, enlivened our hearts, not just to an intellectual or historic uh, knowledge and understanding of Jesus, but of a deep personal relationship with Jesus. Like that's what we read in John 3, right? If, you, if you're familiar with John 3, you know, Nicodemus comes along and he's at Jesus saying, hey, we know a thing or two about you, Jesus. We can tell you stuff about who you are. We think we've got you pegged. And Jesus kind of turns around and goes, you can know nothing about me unless your heart has been transformed by the Spirit of God. Like you can't truly know who I am without uh, the work of the Spirit. All you are going to do is just try and push me into your own categories until that happens. Well, Freeway, like all churches, is not a human construction, but has been founded by and continues to be formed and transformed in this good news, this effective good news that in Jesus Christ, God is saving sinners, that he's rescuing people out of one kingdom, if you like, where we are willfully estranged from God, where we act as natural born enemies to each other into another kingdom, a kingdom where we are adopted by God as his children. God is our father and we are brothers and sisters toward each other in the likeness of Jesus. A kingdom that has, that is called a kingdom of eternal life. That the quality of relationships that begin to develop here go on into eternity. That's what we read in the rest of John 3, right? All nine. You've all been there. 
Freeway is a community of people for whom knowing Jesus and sharing that reality with others, we say, takes place through things like as we live uh, biblically faithful lives, as we come and we participate in renewed worship, as we, as, as we come and bear our lives in fervent prayer, in selfless service, in radical generosity, and, and, and a loving motivation to see the Spirit multiply that in others. We say that's the signs of grace in our lives, that, that we know Jesus, that we have come into this kingdom. That's at least what we read in the farewell discourse of John in, in chapters 13 to 17. It's how we move toward each other. As John actually mentioned this morning in communion, that will ultimately reveal whether we know Jesus, whether he has made himself known to us. And we are in turn making him known here amongst all of us. But the question, and, and that's our banner, and that's, that, they're our values and all the things that we, we gather under. But the question that we had is how well is this banner of knowing Jesus and making him known understood? Like how well is that, you know, how well is that felt? How well is that understood by the people at Freeway? Are there means, are, are there ways in which we can uh, light this thing up to make it um, less of a slogan and more of a church culture? And with that in mind, we gathered together to try and answer that question, to see, to see what we could come up with. Uh, the only problem, though, was as I approached that meeting, uh, feeling like senior pastor, got to have everything solved and buttoned down and, and sorted out before we get there. The more I tried to have that question solved so that our time would be, you know, super productive, we could get in there and, and work around some stuff, the, the less clear it became. And then in the end, when we gathered, I don't know if you can read that, the only thing that, that, that we had on the whiteboard the only thing that I'd managed to write up on the whiteboard was, why are you here? That's what that little top line on the far left-hand side says. It wasn't the greatest agenda for a vision meeting. I'm pretty sure there's like type A personalities that are twitching a little bit at the moment. But here's what it did. It kind of freed us up. It allowed us to begin a conversation where we just started to unpack, uh, you know, while we're at freeway, what are we doing? How we understood things. How we might all get on the same page of, of, of knowing Jesus and, and making him known. And then that led into a discussion of how we understood this slogan. And you can see, well, you probably can't actually, but you can see on the left-hand side there, plenty of, um, plenty of stuff going up on this whiteboard about how we, phrases we would use about what does it mean to know Jesus and make him known. And then as we threw that around, we had a conversation, we kind of boiled it all down to saying, you know what, knowing Jesus is actually literally uh, having the gospel live in us, living in the gospel, we said. And as, as that comes and takes hold, that transforms us. The gospel in life, uh, the gospel in us, living in us. And then we said making him known is the gospel in life. As we live that gospel out, it transforms others. Jesus shapes us internally and externally. Deep heart transformation that then has symptoms of grace in our actions, in our activities, in our relationships, in our pursuits. And these actions and, and relationships actually then push back and validate the fact that we know Jesus. Our lives have been transformed. And we were like, 
Imagine if everyone at Freeway could could have the same kind of moment of conviction, of excitement about this banner of knowing Jesus and, and making him known. It was quite a moment. We were pretty proud of ourselves. But no agenda, so we didn't know what to do next. So we did a thing called a SWAT, a SWAT of Freeway, to see what were the strengths, the weaknesses, and the opportunities and the threats, that's SWAT, uh, to, to people coming to the same place that we'd come to. Now, I've never done a SWAT before. That might You might be surprised to hear that. Um, so we handed it over to a more capable person to put the fact that he's wearing a pink shirt, but uh, we, we were in capable hands there. And from there, uh, from these four areas of uh, strengths and opportunity, uh, weakness and threats, we were asked to identify um, our top... Uh, our top four, I'll identify priorities in each of those squares, and, and we did that in each of the squares, and then we were asked to identify our top four priorities that we feel would best equip Freeway to live out a more authentic expression or, or have more skin on the game when it came to uh, knowing Jesus and making him known. And then once we had uh, our, our top four priorities and all that out of these areas, we then had to... Uh, pick our, our top two uh, priorities and, and, and rate them in first and second. And as we did that, uh, out of that group of things, uh, we came... Oh, go on. We came to a, a very clear picture... Oh, yeah, that's the right slide. Of, ..of what was our top priority. And there was daylight between our top priority and, and the next one. Now, I can't speak for others because this last little step uh, was made privately. Like, everything else was with consultation. And then when we got to deciding what was our two things that we would think were our top priorities for Freeway for this year, that little vote we did privately. We did individually. There was no shared influencing at this point. But I voted for something that I hadn't originally held as one of my highest priorities. As we sat and we looked and we discussed and we prayed... My heart was moved somewhere else as to what we need to do here at Freeway. And the only reason I share this is because I genuinely feel that, that this was where God led us to the priority of discipleship. Discipleship was the thing that emerged out of us tucking ourselves away in prayer and conversation as we sought to identify something uh, that could shape how we achieved the mission uh, of knowing Jesus and making him known. For me, it was even more compelling given uh, the agenda that we started with, or the non-agenda. We went in with no preconceived ideas, no, no agendas or goals. Just what will God do with us here today was all we had in the end. It didn't come out of some impressive presentation or some persuasive arguments, but actually came out of us just being open and just waiting to see where, where this would land. Now, I find this exciting because this is the first time in my time here at Freeway that, that the direction of the corporate life of Freeway has been shaped by something other than just reaction to things or, 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 or needs or function, you know. The first time that we've been shaped by something more than just our preaching roster or, or uh, things like seasons or, or like Mission Month or Easter or Christmas or just merely, or merely out of what I feel would be good to teach. 
you know, as I think, oh, you know, it'd be great to get into the book of Esther or whatever. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. That's my job. But here the leadership now, uh, in, in, we're all, we're taking hold of the direction of the church by submitting it to prayer and reflection and consultation and seeking where God would lead us. And it's exciting because we all felt, we all felt that was exactly what happened. And we have a priority that will now shape uh, what we do at Freeway and will influence our preaching and, and, the, and, the, and the activities that we do for the next 12, at least the next 12 months. And that is discipleship. So we were, we were like really excited about that and about how it came about. I can see you're excited. You just got to keep a lid on it. Um, <laughs> And, and just hope that it doesn't didn't blow the joint apart, but I think it's going to be good. So what I thought we might do with the rest of our time here this morning is look into uh, a life of discipleship. Discipleship is one of those words that gets kind of used and thrown around in churches quite a bit at various levels with people having uh, various ideas and, and different methods about what's the best way that discipleship takes place. And no doubt that is because uh, this word discipleship is actually used by Jesus for those who would have their lives radically transformed by truly knowing him. Jesus says about his disciples in places like John 8 that they abide in him. In John 13 that they, that they are marked by a, a, a radical form of love. In Mark 8, 39, that they would deny, his disciples would deny themselves in pursuit of him. That in Luke uh, 14, that his disciples will esteem him above all other relationships. In Luke 14, that his disciples would be prepared to die to themselves and, and come alive in him. Jesus calls people who esteem him above all other things, who trust him above all other things, who love the community of believers that arises out of a relationship with him through selfless service and radical generosity. His disciples who have, who have died to self-interest to find life in following Jesus. These are the people that Jesus calls his disciples and that's why it's such a big deal. Sometimes we run discipleship courses, you know, just little quick training courses. Sometimes we read books. I've been reading Trellis and the Vine, and that's a great book. I would recommend it to you. Or we promote, like, you know, like one-on-one Bible study, you know, have a, have a discipleship mentor, just one-on-one, just working your way through Scripture. Again, I think that's a great thing. Some people would say discipleship takes place in small groups. Yes, it does. Some people would say it just takes place naturally as you regularly attend church uh, every Sunday. Discipleship is taking place in, in all these areas. Here's a definition I found that discipleship as applied to Jesus. A disciple is someone who learns from him to live like him. Someone who, because of God's awakening grace, conforms his or her words and ways to the words and ways of Jesus. Or you might say, as others have put it in the past, disciples of Jesus are are imitators of Jesus. Well, this year, what we're going to be doing is encouraging you and, and working on providing you with as many environments and as many opportunities uh, to live a life of discipleship, to, to, to more and more uh, be able to imitate 
who Jesus is. And next week, we're going to be looking at some of the specific ways, some of the concrete ways in which disciples can say yes to to getting engaged in this process. But for the rest of this morning, what I thought we might do is look at how the Gospel of Matthew lays out a life of discipleship. Matthew's Gospel is big uh, big on fulfillment, big on true, on truly knowing uh, how it is that um, we can truly know Jesus in, in a sense that he takes us from one reality into another. And how discipleship is not merely an event. It's not just, oh, I got saved and what do you know? It's not a program, but it's actually an ongoing relationship. And it happens personally and it happens in community. Uh, all people are on a continuum, if you, you might say, when it comes with respect to Jesus. From the fact that Jesus has no relevance in their life at all, to maybe interest in and exploring who Jesus is, to then believing in Jesus, to growing in Jesus, and to sharing in Jesus. It's not a totally lineal continuum, but it, but at some point, It has a moment when you became a disciple, when you became a Christian. Now, if you can't remember that date, don't panic. Uh, The only date that really matters is the date in AD 33 when when Jesus died and rose so that you could do likewise. Our confidence isn't in uh, what we've done, a date that we can point to, but our confidence is in a date that, that we can point to, something that Jesus has done. Something specific in human history that transforms all of human history. The first thing a disciple is, is a disciple is called. Jesus found you. Jesus moved toward you. Jesus initiated a relationship with you. Jesus called you into relationship with him. In chapter 4 of Matthew's Gospel, we see how Jesus, and no doubt this takes place after all kinds of information uh, may have been discussed by you know these, these boys, these lads, maybe they've been listening to John the Baptist or, or whatever, but they've been discussing uh, who Jesus is, Simon and Andrew, James and John. But in Matthew's Gospel, we see Jesus calls them to, a, to radically re- reorganize their lives around him. He says, come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So isn't it, that's kind of just a cool way of saying, I'm going to take all that you love and all the skills and things that you have, and I'm going to reorientate them to using them to a different kingdom, one that's not built around you. In John's Gospel, we get a slightly different view, but a more organic view. But nevertheless, it is Jesus making the life-changing call to follow him. Later in Matthew's Gospel, in chapter 9, Jesus will actually call the tax collector, a tax collector who is the author of this Gospel. Jesus initiates. Jesus moves toward people. We respond. Jesus gives. We receive. Jesus defines our life's mission, described here as, you know, I'll make you fishers of men. And we then resource our lives around that with the grace that Jesus supplies us to do it. Now this is important because it places, it lays a, a foundation uh, that our life of discipleship didn't begin with our good works, didn't begin with our efforts, but began with grace, grace from God in Jesus. We were lost and he searched. 
He found and He chose to make us disciples. This is super important. If you don't digest anything, but digest this. Because you are going to go along in your Christian life and you will make mistakes. You will get banged up. And you will wonder, am I still a disciple? Am I good enough to be a disciple of Jesus? Being a disciple is not about how good you are, but about how good the one who called you is. To reshape a J.I. Packer quote about how about a life as a discipleship, he says, Jesus' methods of discipleship are neither activism, that's your self-reliant activity, your hard work, nor is a life of discipleship apathy, uh, God or Jesus-reliant passivity. But a life of discipleship is Christ-dependent effort. Discipleship is not about how good you are, but about how good the one who called you is, about how faithful the one you are following is. Disciples are called. They are supernaturally made. They're not made by human effort. You are a disciple because of the initiating grace of God in Jesus, the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in your life. That's what John 3 is all about. How do do you know a person's become a disciple? How how do you know someone's become a Christian? And Jesus says, well, you know what? It's hard. There's no way of actually describing how it happens, but we see the effects. It's like the wind. You see the, the cause of the wind, and it moves the trees. This is the work of the Spirit in the life of a person to make them a disciple. The first disciples got the law. They got the the Old Testament and they got Jesus in the flesh uh, to come and to to make that fully known to them. You and I, us now, what we get is the completed Scriptures and we get the Holy Spirit. And it makes this truth known to us. Disciples are called secondly we kind of go once we're called what does that life of discipleship looks like well a life of discipleship looks like being defined by Jesus it's the next part of the continuum so to speak in Matthew's gospel in, in, in Matthew uh, 5 to 7 we see that the, God, the, the disciples come he's on the Mount of Olives and, and they come and they, and they come to him now and they listen and they're taught by Jesus they're having their minds and their hearts shaped by what Jesus is saying in Matthew's gospel we find the disciples learn from Jesus they are defined by his words in Matthew 5 to 7, Jesus is teaching his disciples about what it looks like to live in community with each other. The Sermon on the Mount is recognizes some of the, 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 the most uh, greatest ethical teaching going around, but it is primarily aimed at relational dynamics in a community of people that arises out of knowing Jesus. It is uh, most specifically targeted at at disciples. These things that we that I discuss here should be the new emerging realities of your hearts. You have heard it said, but I tell you, 
is the refrain throughout this whole sermon. Jesus is helping the disciples to hear how law is now transformed in him to be deep heart transformation, motivations. Jesus is saying, a symptom of knowing me is that your heart will change. The Sermon on the Mount takes the law, it doesn't nullify it, but it pushes it to its place where it exposes the conditions of our heart and says disciples will have renewed hearts that long to live as the law commands. Like all of God's commands are, are for our good. Anyone can modify their behavior externally. Anyone can appear to be pious. But a disciple has undergone deep heart transformation to the degree that like the Apostle Paul, they can say, as Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I am now living in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Disciples have their very motivation defined by by the teaching of Jesus. And so a community of people who share Christ begin to be distinguished in their approach to life and how they treat each other. And it looks like the picture that's, that's painted on, on the mountain here. Blessed. Blessed are those who mourn, Jesus says. What's he talking about? Blessed are those who, who mourn the fact that their cat died? No. Blessed are those who mourn sin. These kind of things begin to emerge in this community. The disciple is not only defined by Jesus with respect to how we should live toward each other, but disciples are defined by Jesus with respect to how we live towards those who haven't yet encountered Jesus as someone to follow, as someone who makes us right with God. If Matthew 5, 7 is all about, in general terms, uh, how Jesus defines relationships with each other, with other Christians in this new kingdom, then Matthew 10 is a chapter that can be used as a model of how Jesus defines that disciples should then go and relate to non-believers and, and, and in turn expect them to relate back to us. How to, how to move into a new area, how to, how to move into a new town, if you like. Tim Keller and others uh, identify a couple of helpful principles from this chapter about a life of discipleship uh, that, that takes place in a sceptical, non-believing culture. It's a life of a complex balance of of grace and truth. The first general principle that Jesus teaches his disciples here is that they are to share the compassion of Jesus. Like write that down. That is how a disciple moves toward non-believers primarily. They share the compassion of Jesus. They come with a stick and judgment and all this kind of stuff. They share the compassion of Jesus with those who don't know him. First to non-believing Jews and then to the Gentiles we read in this passage. So by the end of chapter 10, it's all people. And if you're thinking, oh, you know, this is the, this is the apostles that have been called here. It's for professionals. It's for preachers and people like that. Then Luke's account, we find that Jesus sends out the 72, which is a number that represents the whole. It represents the whole of the community. All, all disciples are to go in this kind of fashion, to move toward people. A marker, though, of Jesus' ministry in general was that he had compassion toward the crowds. 
A disciple is to see the world as Jesus saw it, in need of grace, not in, not in need of condemnation. It's already there. Sheep without a shepherd, we read in chapter 9. Jesus had compassion on them. So disciples are to exercise the same tone as Jesus did. They are to be servant-hearted and bring the ministries of grace that counteract the effects of sin. And we read through these ministries of grace there in 10, 5 to 8. We see the disciples are not to exercise this compassion with the expectation of financial gain. It's not a money-making venture. It's a mission to communicate the life-giving, restorative, utterly free grace of God so clearly displayed in Jesus' ministry, now to be displayed in their ministry as they go, as they go as disciples into a, into a sceptical world. A disciple is not merely to be a consumer of grace. We are to be sharers of grace. While the operating of Jesus' disciples amongst sceptics amongst non-believers and even those who might be investigating who Jesus is, is to be marked with humble compassion, is to have this flavor of God's joyous, gracious, utterly free forgiveness and restoration that's found in Jesus, it will often be met with hostility, even violent rejection. And that is because even though disciples have a tone of compassion, they also have an unwavering conviction to truth, toward truth. That's the complex balance of, of being a disciple. Wise as serpents, gentle as doves, Jesus says. The disciples' ministry also involves the preaching of repentance, as Jesus' ministry did. Preaching about the spiritual need of Jesus in, a, in sinful people, and along with the pouring of, out of themselves in compassion towards broken people. Now, telling people they need to repent that they need to change their, their stance toward God is not always met as, as, as good news. In verse 14, Jesus tells his disciples that, that even amongst the most pious people, they're, they're moving toward the Jews at the moment, even towards the most morally good people, good Jews, the news that their goodness doesn't make them any closer to God than a bad person, the Gentiles makes them further away from God, is offensive to them. Cuts them up. They may not receive what you're telling them as good news. There's a bit of a, and Jesus instructs them, uh, you know, when they're dealing with religiously pious people, there's a bit of a rebuke there. We don't have time to go into that, but if you want, you can come and ask me about that later. Disciples are to be unapologetic about the truth, about the need for all people to repent, good and bad. Unapologetic about the consequences of rejecting Jesus offer of salvation, unapologetic about the enormous claims of Jesus, that he is God, that he alone uh, saves people, that he gives you a, a new heart to live in a right relationship with God, that only in Jesus are these realities found. This is the complex balance of word and deed, of truth and grace, gentle as doves, wise as serpents, but we're not to be jerks about the truth. You don't need to be the reason for offense. Let people be offended at Jesus. Let people be offended at the truth. That's what Jesus says in in verse 22 of 10. You'll be hated for my name's sake. But don't be the one who Jesus is hated for because you were a jerk in how you went about being a Christian. 
Identifying with Jesus as a disciple will bring heat, it will bring discomfort into your life because it disrupts and causes offense to people's naturally resting positions of, of, of moralistic self-sufficient goodness and of, and of permissive self-discovery. Jesus says both are counterfeit gods and both need to be replaced with a relationship with him that esteems him, that has him as the highest, highest good, the highest priority in their life. That's what a disciple is. Disciples are to be, are to be defined by Jesus, to have a, a tone of Jesus in the world, a balanced complexity of compassion and grace and uncompromising truth. Finally, the life of a disciple, a life of discipleship is a life that is sent to continue Jesus' making of disciples. Perhaps one of the most famous verses on discipleship is the one found at the end of Matthew's Gospel, often called the Great Commission, where the resurrected Jesus, just before he goes to sit at the, the right hand of the Father in heaven, where he, you know, he intercedes on our behalf, there's a sentence in that, in a sermon, if you like, in that in itself, but you can check that out in 1 John 2, 1 to 2, about what that means. Jesus says to his 11 present and remaining disciples, and by extension and incorporation, you and I, he says this, all, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the ends of the age. A life of discipleship means the continuing, the, the continuing of the making of disciples that Jesus has begun with two basic tasks, baptizing and teaching. Baptizing is a public display of an existing inward reality. The person has already come to identify with the need of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So the sharing of who Jesus is has taken place. And Jesus has made himself known in, in life-transforming ways. And, and so they're, they're baptized to identify with Jesus. And this phrase that they say here, to, we, we baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know what, that, that's not a magic phrase, but what it does is it, it tells you the exclusivity of the faith that you are being baptized into. It's the Christian faith. It's not some other, only the Christian faith has a triune God. Yeah. And then note this, that once a person is baptized, the next thing that we're doing is we're teaching. We're teaching obedience. We're teaching more and more and more about who Jesus is, what he said, his claims. Becoming a disciple is not an event, not a moment in time. It's like buying a ticket into heaven. It's the beginning of a relationship with Jesus. It's the beginning of coming into a community like this. So that our lives are now given to being defined by Him in a joyful, continual learning and obedience to deep heart change. And it's not a suggestion. It's what it is to be a disciple. This is what a life of discipleship looks like. A continuous dying to self and replacing that with a tone and tenure of the nature of Jesus. It's an ongoing reality that we have. Listen to this. Jesus says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So, 
the limitations that applied throughout my ministry no longer apply. Things have gone back to the way they were when I was the eternal word, when I was creating the universe. God has restored my glory. My limited authority is over. Now I am back to the king, the ruler of the universe. So a little bit of perspective here. In his limited capacity, Jesus cured blindness. He healed leprosy and sickness. He healed paraplegia. Uh, mental illness was healed. He just spoke. He released uh, people in oppression with words. This was a ministry in its limited capacity where Jesus just kind of said to storms, stop, and they did. He said to dead man, you know, stop being dead, and out he walked. Now the risen Lord Jesus says, all authority, not just the limited authority I had, but, but all, all authority. Jesus is the same, but he's different now. He is the supreme authority throughout the universe. And if you are a disciple, he is the supreme authority in your life. So it really doesn't matter what he says next. You just push all your chips in and you do it. You obey it. And you do everything you can to live in accordance with it. And what does Jesus say? Make disciples. A life of discipleship is one where you share the good news of Jesus. As you go about the normal rhythms of life, I don't make you fishers of men. You boys are fishers. Let me tell you how I redefine your skills so that you become disciple makers. Yeah. As you go about the normal rhythms of your life, here with each other, where we nurture our faith, where we share our faith, and out there in the world, in our workplaces in our families, where we go to school, where we play sport. And the really good news is that as it started, so it continues. We don't do this in our own strength, but through the ever-present power of the grace of Jesus' promise that he will be with us even to the ends of the age. Discipleship is what you were created for. Discipleship is what we are here for. And we think here now it will be our primary focus on lighting this up as we move forward in this church. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are a God uh, who, who comes and grabs broken people and in your grace turns them into something beautiful. But it's not just like a magic moment where we kind of wonder how did we get to this space, but it's a relationship where where you grab hold of little bits of brokenness in our life and you say, I'm going to deal with that now, and I'm going to deal with that now, and I'm going to deal with that now. And that's what discipleship is. This ongoing learning about how to be like Jesus. There's discipleship in community where we're where we're sharing this with each other. There's this discipleship that's individual, where we're just praying and we're one-on-one with Jesus. There's discipleship where we're in this big, big, big corporate, bigger church. But all of it is the grace of God to turn people, to change people into those who would more and more and more look like Jesus. And what's the good news about that? Because Jesus is your accepted son. And as we identify with him, we are accepted by you. And it doesn't matter how long along the continuum we are, that we identify with you as disciples means that we are your family. That you love us. 
that you are journeying with us. And we thank you for that. Amen.